is like keeps you afloat but empowerment shoots you off like a rocket and so we we harness the soul force that is black boy joy and we 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 strap like a rocket to the back of these young men's back and we shoot them into into the atmosphere to become whatever it is that they desire to be Welcome to How to Have Kids Love Learning, where we explore ideas and strategies for parents and educators that help students thrive. I'm your host, Ed Madison. I'm a professor and researcher at the University of Oregon and serve as executive director of the Journalistic Learning Initiative, a nonprofit organization that empowers middle and high school students to discover their voice, improve academic outcomes, and become self-directed learners through project-based storytelling. Teaching students to become effective communicators is at the heart of JLI's work. Lakanyana Jury is the founder and executive director of Word as Bond, a Portland, Oregon-based nonprofit, which is inspired by the obstacles he overcame to discover his own life path. He is an educator, a social entrepreneur, community organizer, and storyteller who uses various mediums of art, primarily poetry and photography, to uplift hidden stories and inspire others to collective action. Welcome to the podcast. Um, and I wanted to start yeah, I, I wanted to start by just uh, chatting a little bit about your own uh, sort of personal journey and and, uh, and share a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing. Yeah, um, so if you follow Black political thought, you're familiar with W.E.B. Du Bois, who in the beginning of the 20th century coined the term the color line or the, the theory of double consciousness, which describes uh, Black person in the United States experience in, in both the black world and living in the white world and having to see themselves through two of those lenses. And I feel like I'm a third rendering of that, which is that not only am I in between those two worlds, but because of my biracial identity, I have even another element to that. My dad is from South Sudan and grew up there in the, in the, late 60s and early 70s before coming to the United States where he met my mom at the University of Minnesota and my mother grew up in Wisconsin. So the white and black worlds are oftentimes at odds with themselves. And that's where I found myself when I was born in 1989. Um, my parents split up and I was raised primarily by my mother, not primarily, entirely by my mother. And I didn't meet my father till I was 10 years old. So I was lacking a number of blueprints, uh, the blueprint of male identity, just generally speaking. Uh, I think fathers and male figures play a very pivotal role in the upbringing of young men. But then also uh, the blackness, the black piece of my of my experience as well. And so, and as a young black male in general, in the United States, there's not many um, 
blueprints for how how you can be and what what are you supposed to be it's oftentimes you're presented with two options be an athlete or an entertainer and so as i came up into the world i struggled a lot to figure out what my path is and what those struggles looked like for me was um being in fourth grade and and kind of getting to that age at 10 years old where where i was looking for um male figures of influence and so my mother put me in the big brothers and big sisters program and she wanted me to have a black male mentor and um, in that program. And they, they told her that the wait list for a black male big brother was two years. As, as destiny would have it, if you will, I was ended up being paired with a black male mentor in a very short period of time. It was kind of an anomaly. Um, Kevin Torrance had just moved from Detroit, Michigan to Madison, Wisconsin. And that's who I was paired with, a, a 38, 39-year-old black male mentor with no kids. And so he was really a guiding force in my life. Fast forward two years later in sixth grade, I was diagnosed with a learning disability, um, of which I, I don't exactly know what it pertained to. But in the school system for black children, um, uh, learning disabilities and behavioral um, plans you know, detention, suspensions are two of the main ways in which black students are kind of sidelined within the education system. So I struggled greatly with it. And my mother, you know, um, she really pushed back against the education system and demanded that I was educated. Uh, she did her best and I ended up graduating with a 2.3 GPA out of high school. And so I kind of look at the end of high school as like the starting point of, of life and um, I left high school with very little understanding, despite having a mother who was very involved in my life and despite having um, a black male mentor with very little understanding of what I could be in this world and very little understanding of my, my black identity. Uh, my school teachers, they gave me the impression that I was not intelligent and almost also dually incapable of being taught. That's the impression that I got. So that was the start of my journey in this world. Was there um, sort of an internal compass that told you that they were wrong or that allowed you to sort of navigate from that very limited perspective? No, um, there really wasn't. Um, it, it, in fact, it was the exact opposite. They had convinced me that I wasn't smart. I graduated high school believing that I was not smart and I couldn't figure out, like some kids would come to class and they would, you know, they could just get the assignments right away and they knew all all the answers to the questions. They knew how to study. And I just, for whatever reason, really struggled with it. And um, I, I, I believe that I learned differently. And, you know, so it just took a long time, but it was really just a, perseverance of my mom to help me to keep me like afloat until I kind of got to an age where I was able to take agency over my own life and my own educational journey. And that was when I was 21 years old. Mm -hmm. Were there ways or strategies that you were able to resist maybe peer pressures to go a different direction? You know, we talk so much about the you know, uh, school to prison uh, pipeline and, and uh, you know, becoming a statistic as opposed to somebody who succeeds. Did you? Yeah. Kind of. Um, 
No. So with peer pressure, so socially, I, I also struggled a lot with, with making friends. And for, for, for black children, there's like multiple categories of what we can fall into. And people give you all types of percentages. Some people say it's the 10, 60, and 30 model, where it's like the 10% that are high achieving, the 30% that are like those that are involved in very risky behaviors. And then there's the 60% that's just kind of caught in the middle that doesn't get attention because they're not the top 10% and they're not the 30%. I don't, I don't know what those numbers are. I don't, I don't pretend to prescribe to that model, but I, I would say it, it, it has some truth to it. Um, and so, so there's multiple categories, I would say, just of like what black youth can fall into. And some of them are to, for a variety of reasons, more into that group that might end up in prison, might end up in jail, might end up doing gun violence. There's some that um, might, uh, fall into the category of like drugs and alcohol. And, and I have alcoholism on both sides of my family. And so I think that was the main one that my mom was concerned about. And in the American culture, you know, like drinking is a part of teenage culture. So that's the one that most that she most saw for me was once I became a teenager, um, like out of high school, just like um, experimenting with drinking and things of that nature. So I never, I never particularly was called to the prison to pipeline um path but my brother was and so as a a a young mother of three children by herself like that's what my mom was constantly worried about was like putting out the fires in our life and also worried about like where were we headed and mind you we're the three first three me my brother my sister we're the first three black children in our family there's no and i'm being the oldest there's no model to show what we're going to become it's kind of a question mark and you know my mom was ostracized to a degree from from society because it's like here she is as a single mother you have three children they're they're biracial so so she broke a lot of um traditional norms from her a cultural background which was um you know dating and marrying a black man and then to end up with three black children it's kind of like the i told you so kind of a deal and so she had to push back against that and kind of raise us. And, and I'm the first, I'm the oldest. So it's like, there's nobody in front of me. Like, yeah, I have white cousins, I have white uncles, but like, I can't really look to them and say, that's a model of what I could be because they're not black. They're not mm-hmm. going through things. Their name is not Lakiana. My mom's brothers and sisters names are Christian, you know, James, Jim, Thomas. And here's Lakiana with no father <laughs> and, you know, a biracial identity. So there was a lot of uncertainty growing up and a lot of ways that we could have gone a lot of different quote unquote buckets as you as you will that we could have ended up in and really just a testament to my mother's strength and that we ended up the way we did yeah i've spoken to um biracial youth who have said to me that um sometimes they find themselves in um in a place where they're not black enough for their black friends and not white enough for their white friends. And it's really hard to kind of start to navigate, you know, their own sense of identity. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you relate to any of that at all, but I don't know that you, did you, did you find acceptance um, or lack of acceptance, you know, growing up? Um, Um, I, I really wasn't accepted by my peers and I don't think it had to do with as much with race as it just, I like, it's just like, I'll, I'll put it like this, anything that like came easy to people in life never came easy to me, right? Grades, friends, 
I just struggled with all of them and it took me a long, long time till I was later in life till I really like came to grow into my own. And that's one thing that my mom always said to me was like, you just, you're a late bloomer. You just develop later. Now, when you're younger, that's kind of like an embarrassing thing to hear. Like, okay, mom, like, don't keep saying that out loud in front of all these people. But, you know, as I look back, like, it's like, it's true. And so once I was able to really understand that and like, and that was part of me, like learning how I learn was like, okay, it's going to take you a little bit longer. But once you do, like, I have these like bursts, like where all of a sudden, like, I'll just like spring forward and like all these things will start clicking for me. So what I would say though, particularly about my biracial identity is just that like, I personally never felt a lot of times, quote unquote, black enough. Like, it's like, oh, like, you know, like, you don't have these certain stories or these certain things, or you don't talk this certain way. And for my, I've done a lot of digging into like, um, you know, interviews and talking with a lot of other people who are biracial. And I think that's a very common thing. And I'm just going to say particularly to being biracially black and white, when you add other elements, like that's another thing I didn't know growing up. I only knew really two races of people, black people. Well, no, in, in relation to being mixed, because a lot of people would say that when I was growing up, they're like, oh, like my peers, they would say, oh, you're mixed. And I only knew of black and white people being mixed. I didn't realize that you could be black and Japanese or black and Latino. So um, I had a very rudimentary understanding of race. And so and so for me growing up, I, I, I felt called and pushed to display my blackness. And I always felt lacking within that department. And I think it's an experience that a lot of black people feel biracial black people feel um, because of the gravitational pull of black culture and within black culture, it, as I've discovered when I was older, that everybody's put in that box. You could be as black as night and they'll still, there's certain activities that you're supposed to do certain things, how you're supposed to act, how as a black male, how you're supposed to handle conflict, how you're supposed to talk, what activities. And it's, and it's, it's a, it is a byproduct of white supremacy that squeezes black people into a box and defines what we can do. But for white people, they're allowed to do anything. They can appropriate any culture. You'll never hear a white person say to another white person, you're not acting white enough. They can go, they can go be and do anything. And that's, that's what they've built for themselves by oppressing other cultures. And for black people though, we are always put into a box. Oh, if you're black, you can, you can only play basketball and rap. You can't like rock music. You can't, you can't like comic books. You can't, you can't be um, any of these other things. You can't go skiing. You can't do these other things. Those are only quote unquote white activities. And every white activity is associated with all of the great things in life, whether it's like getting good grades or, you know, traveling around the world or whatever it might be. So um, there's, we, you know, we are um, a lot of times forced in a certain situations and it goes, it dates all the way back, back to slavery and um, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Self-hate. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about, more about the nonprofit and what, what uh, prompted you to begin it and, and what its work is all about. So Word is Bond is the nonprofit uh, started in 2017 when I was just a first finishing my first year at, um, um, teaching here in Portland, Oregon. And it's it's the it's my freedom dream. 
Um, a freedom dream is is that ultimate dream if you had no limits, no bounds to what you could be. And it's the culmination of all the experiences that I that I just described to you. It's my answer to all of those. It's a program that works to empower young black men ages 15 to 20 years old. So we get them when they're 15 and we work with them to about roughly 20 years old when they are out of high school. And it, it provides everything that is lacking in society to guide black men towards their ultimate purpose. And each young black man has their own purpose. And so our mission statement is, what if young black men were empowered to their fullest potential? And so, and that's the question that was, that, that, that is, that I pose to all of our young men. And then when I look back at my younger self is what if I had been empowered? What if I'd been given the tools? What if I'd been taught truly about the history of black people and our connection to Africa? What if I had um, the platform to tell my story, to know that my story is important and that I even had a story because I walked around for so long without knowing that I had a story or knowing the story was valuable. And so we have a summer internship program called Rising Leaders, which is three years long um, and gives them public speaking skills, civic engagement skills, career prep, college preparation skills, um, validates their stories and allows them to tell it in powerful ways. As you mentioned in the introduction, you talked about poetry and photography. So we do a photography project every summer where the young men get to design their own self-portraits to imagine themselves in powerful uh, images. We do poetry where they get to write poems about their stories and they get published into a book. Um, we take them camping. We take them um, outside of the city. We're going to Ghana this summer. So basically every single thing that I didn't have, not didn't have, but didn't see growing up, I've poured into Word is Bond. And I've, I came up with this recently, this interesting separation between having support and being empowered. And what my mom and what Kevin Torrance provided me with was support. But it's different than empowerment. Support is like keeps you afloat, but empowerment shoots you off like a rocket. And so we we harness the soul force that is black boy joy. And we 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 strap like a rocket to the back of these young men's back and we shoot them into, into the atmosphere to become whatever it is that they desire to be. That's awesome. You have a, a you've you've assembled a quite a, a prestigious uh, uh, list of uh, partners to you know to support your work. Trailblazers, Widening Kennedy, um, you know. Um, do you have um, what are some of the long term goals of what you want to accomplish with with the organization? I want to transport it to different cities across the country. Um, I think that that's really important. That there should be a Where's Bond chapter everywhere that every young black man knows that there's a program that he can go to, to have the support and take, um, take off in the way that they want to. Um, um, one part of the goal is to get to Africa, which we're going to do this summer. We're taking 15 of our, our senior leaders, ambassadors to Ghana for two weeks. So that's part of the goal of like, um, fleshing out the full program, like the whole vision isn't, hasn't even been completed yet. I'm like, I'm like George Lucas, you know, uh, we, we did a new hope. We did empire strikes back and this summer we're going to do return of the Jedi. So, uh, there's that, um, you know, one of my, my greatest influences growing up was, uh, Barack Obama. 
And uh, it's a freedom dream of mine to have him, um, to meet him and have him meet some of our young men. So uh, that's another part of what I want to do <clears throat> and just make the program sustainable. You know, right. We're just kind of coming out of that phase where the program is just like, um, you know, heavily reliant on me. And now we're at a place where we have multiple employees where we can, it, it can survive on its own. And that's a really good feeling. Cause you know, it's taken at, when you create something, if you really are going to tell you, tell somebody, this is my freedom dream, it's going to require everything from you. And I just, I, I just was talking with one of my ambassadors this weekend and he was saying to me, Mr. Drury, did you ever have to call your mom and tell her you wanted to quit college? Cause that's what I had to do this weekend. I just was so frustrated with it. And my response to him was, until you want to quit something, you've never really attempted it. And I wanted to quit Word is Bond in about 2020, 21. And I told him that. I was like, you know, it until you, if you don't, if, if you, when you have a freedom dream, you pour everything you have into it. And then it's, it's not even enough. And you get to a wall and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is too much. Like, let's just, let's just forget about it. And so, I reached that point and I was telling this young man this weekend, like it was critical in the further development of Word is Bond because it really made you sit back and see how much do you want it? Where do you want to go? And so I believe that that thought in your mind um, is really critical. And so that was kind of my response to him. And, and as I'm, you know, looking at what's next for Word is Bond, that part was really important for me. And now I'm at a place where um, I, I really know the purpose of what Word is Bond is and why it means so much to me and, um, and, you know, growing it and helping it become a sustainable thing that isn't just a project of Lakiana, but it is a, its own standalone organization. <clears throat> well, you're going to love uh, Ghana. I've been, I think maybe six or seven times we have a summer study abroad program. I'm not going this year, otherwise it might've overlapped with when you're going to be there, but um, it's a, uh, it's, it's a really, uh, a vibrant uh, place and just uh, inspiring in so many ways. Um, you know, obviously there's um, poverty, but what you discover is that uh, people are rich, you know, in terms of their sense of spirit um, and, um, and, and, and that's significant. Um, I want to ask you, you know, we're, so you, you mentioned President Obama and, and I think for, for many people, um, we wanted to believe that his presidency marked um, a turning point historically in just our nation's, um, you know, sense of of how to think and talk about race. But it, it's fair mm -hmm. to say that we've moved backwards, um, you know, as we're seeing just um, uh, efforts to outlaw discussion of uh, race and ethnicity and gender in certain states, and um, you know, just uh, sort of the appropriation of the term woke or wokeism and sort of using it um, uh, in a mocking in a mocking way. Um, and I, I'm just curious, you know, um, what your thoughts are about just kind of where we are at this in this point in time and where we go um, to just have a more um, sensible um, perspective around these topics, you know, Historically, we are right where um, history has shown us that we've we've always been in our country. So what we're experiencing right now is 
you know, you've heard of the term backlash. We're facing mm-hmm. a white lash. And every time that there's been significant progress for African-Americans within our country, we have faced a white lash. Um, when um, slavery was finally um, abolished, except for the 13th Amendment in 1865, when black people were freed from bondage, um, there was the implementation of the Jim Crow laws and racialized segregation across our country. So as soon as there was freedom, white people in the South immediately lurched back with, 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 with extreme violence. And so, um, so that was that experience in there. And then in, in the 60s, when black people um, finally got the right to vote and the passage of the civil rights movement, there was um, the passage of mass incarceration and uh, uh, all of that that went on after Martin Luther King was assassinated and, and Malcolm X and all of those figures. And so what we're experiencing with and now current times with, the, with, um, with President Obama becoming president, there's no coincidence that the president to follow him was was uh, was so outrageously racist and, um, uh, uh, um, agitator of race issues. It, it follows a pattern that we've seen throughout our country, but I think what's also happening, you know, um, speaking of my, my students and just, you know, they, they're, we're always having these conversations. And so they were, they were asking the same thing and they were saying something about, you know, what do you think? our black leaders in the sixties and fifties would be disappointed because we don't have those leaders anymore. And I think, and what I said to them is that, you know, first of all, when you look back, history is always rewritten, right? When Martin Luther King was assassinated, he wasn't the Martin Luther King that we had today. The half the country, half of the white people didn't like him. There was no federal holiday. It wasn't, it wasn't all packaged into this nice thing that, that it is today. And so, and, and so in today's era, I, I believe we're making tremendous progress and we don't have those leaders in the way that they have, they had them, but that's us looking back. What we have right now with the Black Lives Matter movement and other ways and other similar efforts um, is, is a, a, a huge amount of leaders in so many different industries, whether it's um, um, education and we see black women achieving at the highest levels ever uh, whether we see uh, black students being able to go uh, to colleges, whether we see even the fact of black education even being a topic being talked about um, nationally um, with black courses and stuff like that, I believe that we are we we are the freedom dream of our ancestors, and we are doing so many amazing things right now and pushing the agenda of black people for that it even is a national conversation. It wasn't even a conversation before. It wasn't It wasn't even a debate. It wasn't even nothing. And so we've moved tremendously far and we're doing it in so many different ways in arts. Look at hip hop and how hip hop has become the number one um, entertainment and art form across the entire world and how we continue to influence through music. Um, look at um, these the cinematography industry with uh, movies that uh, like Jordan Peele is do, doing um, with Get Out and um, and Us and things of that nature, or um, um, black political leaders, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, all of those folks. I think that there is a tremendous tech industry. Um, there's a tremendous outpouring of of black thought ideas. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, the list goes on. We are there. We got a, a mission to the moon coming up soon, and a black astronaut is going to be the first 
black astronaut on the moon. So I think that we are we are having another moment despite heightened racial racial tension, despite um, um, uh, executions of black people at the hands of law enforcement. So I think that we are um, we have to also appreciate the things that we're doing right right now. And I think there is a lot that we are doing and have the ability to do that was never possible before. So that's how I look at it. Well, thank you. Uh, we've been talking with Makiana Drury, the founder and executive director of Word is Bond. How do folks find you on the internet um, URL or other information in terms of the organization and the work that you're doing? Yeah, so um, to find Word is Bond, mywordisbond.org. Um, you can find us on social media, Word is Bond PDX. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. If you want to um, uh, talk directly with me, um, my website is lakianadrury.com. That's L-A-K-A-Y-A-N-A-D-R-U-R-Y.com. I do consulting. I do um, uh, thought um, workshops, uh, anything like that, poetry workshops. Um, and yeah, I just appreciate, Ed, your, your time, your thoughtful questions. And, Thank uh, you. And yeah. look forward to connecting. Thank you. Appreciate it. Kids Love Learning is produced by the Journalistic Learning Initiative. For more information about our work, please visit journalisticlearning.com.